Hey, welcome to this edition of the John Papaloni Show. Today I have special guest Serena Holmes. Serena, Hello. welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So I want to start off the show with the way I start off every show, okay. which is you telling us about who you are, what you do, and how you got here. Yeah, okay, so obviously we're both realtors, but I'm actually fairly new in terms of being a realtor. I had run my own business, which I guess we know each other indirectly through that. Um, I ran my own events company called Tigris for 18 years, and I ended up selling that, um, kind of merging with another agency last February so I could focus on real estate full-time, and I had been actually trying to sell that throughout the pandemic. Um, I listed it for sale, I think, three weeks before we went into lockdown, so good luck selling a company like that during a pandemic but you know a few months into our first lockdown I decided to enroll for my real estate license because it was complementary to all of the real estate investing I was already doing and you know it took some time to to get that done and then between the courses I was going through rounds of editing for my book um, so I just kind of like would rotate like course editing course editing and then at the end of the year I had my book done and published and I had my real estate license so I just kind of kicked things off kind of part-time at the beginning of last year and then now I've been able to focus on it more full-time heading into this year that is awesome and see it's, it's funny right because like you said when you're uh, running an event company and then uh, COVID hits and we go on full lockdown and it's like yeah it's for sale and nothing's <laughs> open yeah it's kind of interesting but yeah uh, yeah bad timing <laughs> yeah for real yeah so uh where my where my question is that uh why did you decide you wanted out yeah, so I just had my daughter um, in December of 2019, so she was just a few months going into that lockdown, but the girl that I had actually promoted and trained to be my mat leave replacement, who had had for six years on my team, um, resigned when my daughter was just two months old. So at that time, our company was you know not huge, but fairly decent size. We had 10 of us full-time and about 2,200 part-time across Canada and some in the States. So I think I just panicked, like, how was I supposed to have this baby at home and then you know, my, my goal and my focus was to hopefully have support during that year so I could, you know, be with my family and then all of that went sideways. So I hired a mergers and acquisitions company who went through valuing the business and, you know, they even had a buyer lined up and then welcome <laughs> COVID. So I just kept things going throughout. I let my whole team go except for one person and I just kept her so that that way I could scale up during times that we were allowed to operate. And when we weren't, she just blogged her little heart out <laughs> and updated company documents and kind of found work to do, but I wanted to make sure that I had someone that could support us uh, going through it, um, you know, just because we would scale back up when we were out of lockdown for three, four months, and then back in and, and all of that. But um, she ended up resigning a year ago last January. So at that point in time, you know, this company had had two years to try to sell Tigris and had been unsuccessful. I even gave them a list of agencies in Toronto that I thought could you know, just assimilate us and could see value in our website and the leads that came in. And that didn't lead to anything. So I basically asked for a, a mutual release. And then I talked to, I think, 12 or 14 agencies. I had uh, six interested in four offers in two weeks. And then we closed two weeks after that. So it was <laughs> very quick at that point. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. Mm -hmm. um, but the big question now is that you decided to get into real estate. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, yeah. Uh, why? Why real estate out yeah. of all things? Yeah, so like I said, I'd been real estate investing for about 10 years already. So it just felt like, you know, I was passionate about the industry in general. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much power they have in the equity within their own home. So I was kind of using the Smith maneuver before I even knew what the Smith maneuver was. Um, you know, we renovated our current home, forced appreciation, opened up a big HELOC, and I used that to buy my first rental property in Florida. And then doubled that money, 
paid off my home mortgage four years later, my HELOC went up significantly. And then I was able to use that to start really investing. Like I bought two pre-construction properties. I invested in land development. I invested in syndicated mortgages and all these different things. And I've literally been able to develop enough passive income that I was living off that during COVID because my company had no money coming in. Obviously, I didn't want to take money out. Um, So I just think that I look at it from a different lens of a regular realtor that's just buying and selling. Like I can look at it and say, well, you know, have you thought about it from this perspective or that perspective in terms of investing and like how they can create, whether it's passive income or create that um, path towards financial freedom. So uh, it's obviously different. Like with my business, I was business to business. Uh, When you're selling houses, you're business to consumer. So some situations are very emotionally charged. Um, It's a very different experience dealing with people in those situations. So I think, you know, if I could choose, I'd like to focus more on commercial and I'd like to focus on something like, you know, identifying land development opportunities and things that, you know, I would be more B2B, uh, but I'm kind of working on going down that path. Well, that's fascinating, right? Because most people get in it, and the first thing they do is, I want to sell houses, I want to sell yeah. people's homes, and they, everybody uses the same lines, like, yeah. where, oh, it's the biggest investment they're ever going <laughs> to make, and it's yeah. like, as if the person buying it didn't know that, but, yeah. you know, and it's usually yeah. repetitive and kind of the same lines, yeah. where you're trying, kind of taking it to a different viewpoint. Yeah, Which two are, different viewpoints. So there's the investment side. Um, and when I started my, you know, my Instagram page and my marketing, it was before I could even work. Like my daughter wasn't even in daycare yet. And my approach was, what does that really represent? So there's real estate, there's houses. But when you think about home, there's this emotional attachment to it. So like, what do you do at home? Like you eat, you sleep, you relax, you play. It's specifically within your own house, but also the community that you're in. So I started just sharing content from other people that would resonate with all of those different things because I wanted to share stuff people would find interesting. I didn't just want to be like, listed, sold, listed, sold. Like, that's boring. Like, yes, it shows that you're busy, but it's it's not necessarily stuff that people want to see. So I just tried to develop content that I thought homeowners would be more emotionally attached to and find interesting and would give value to them. I love your content that way, right? Because I, I have the same feeling as you, like the just souls, just listed, waste of time. In fact, to be honest, out of the last five transactions that I've done, I think I've only posted one on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, uh, so now, I mean, if you go through my social media, yeah. It looks like all I'm doing is podcasting. <laughs> like, it's like I don't sell real estate anymore. Yeah. But it's like, you know what? I don't really care to promote the just yeah. sold, just listed, any of that crap. Because like you said, it's boring. Yeah. Right? Where I find if you provide value and education, mm-hmm. that's more valuable to and a person. And it's thought leadership, right? So exactly that's yeah. exactly it right so yeah. i i love that thought process and i'm exactly doing the same thing yeah. <laughs> i might be doing a little too much podcasting and not enough of anything else uh, but yeah. uh, hey you know what gotta start somewhere so yeah for sure <laughs> so with that being said like what uh you're you're uh, with i believe exp right that's right yeah out of um other like did you interview uh other brokerages or did you go straight there? Like what was your process and how did you choose the brokerage? I interviewed a lot. Um, So when I first got my license, I interviewed with, I think eight or nine brokerages in total. And some of them were teams and I was very interested. Like I I like the concept of a team, but I was worried that their expectation on time would be more than I had to give. Cause again, my daughter was still very young. We didn't have plans to put her in daycare until she was about two years old. And at that time, you know, I felt like I could maybe give 20 or 30 hours a week and they wanted like 50, 60. So none of the teams that I met with um, could really work with me in that capacity. So the realtor, uh, the real estate brokerage I joined at that time had very low fees compared to other like 
larger franchise kind of brokerages, like a very, like maybe 20% of what some of them would charge. I don't want to like name names. Um, And they seemed like they had a really robust training program. And it feels like, you know, you probably know this with brokerages, like the Wild West, like everyone has different ways of like how they train people, how they do different things. So I joined this one particular brokerage and I think they kind of overstated what the training would be. And what I found coming out of the program, like I ran my own business for almost 20 years, like I'm resourceful, I can figure things out, but the program teaches you like what has to happen and not how. So I was very fortunate to connect to a realtor who had like 30 years experience. We spent like two hours on a Zoom call and just went through all the hows. So like, okay, like I have a listing now, like what exactly do I do? And that brokerage was kind of like, just wanted you to use your admin, but I'm like, it's 10 o'clock at night and I need to do something. I really want to know how to do it. And I literally developed my own playbook just so I could document all of these different things that, you know, the program at Humber doesn't really teach you. It's just, you learn by doing, right? Yeah, so exactly. I, I've even shared that with like other new realtors because I'm like, where would you otherwise find this? Like I had one question from a client that no one could answer. Like I called Treb three times, I called my brokerage three times. I called four other realtors. I knew no one knew the answer. So when I got that answer, you can be sure, like that's very thoroughly detailed in my mm-hmm. playbook. Um, And what I found was that, um, you know, from a management perspective, I wasn't really comfortable with the person that they had responsible. And I found that if I asked a few questions, I would be lucky to get one vague answer back. And I just found that to be very frustrating. So when the time came that my schedule opened up and I knew I could be more active, I started to explore other brokerages. And to be honest, like eXp wasn't totally on my radar. Like I thought there was some value brand brokerage. And the reason being is that someone sold a house around the corner from me and their sign was just really flimsy. And the guy never came to get it off the household. So at one point it was even like upside down at the tree. And I was like, I don't know, just, it just, that was kind of my impression of it. And then I actually met with a couple groups within EXP and it just blew me away. Like they had all these things that if all things are considered equal, it felt like you're paying less to be part of them, but you're getting so much more. So if you hit 16 transactions, you get your full cap back in stock options. There's agent attraction opportunities. Like one of the biggest realtors there, he's not even transacting anymore because he's gone from 300,000 as a realtor to 3 million a year from agent attraction. So there was just all of these different unique opportunities, but I think you have to be very comfortable either you join a a team and you know you've got that support or you can be very comfortable working like one-on-one and I still have support if I need it, but it's not like, you know, you walk into your brokerage office and you've got a a spot to sit and it's different. So you kind of have to to network and build relationships in a different way, so. Absolutely, and that's the other thing I wanted to point out, right? Like it's, there's no single, cup for everybody Mm -hmm. everybody what works for one person may not work for the other person yeah i mean uh anybody knows me i've kind of rotated through the brokerages i've kind of tried them all (laughs) and um yeah i usually end up back where i started so which is where i am right now yeah um and again that's because it works for me there's nothing wrong with that yeah right so again you found a place that jives with you Mm -hmm. I, i love how you uh you know you pretty much started off trying to figure it out and you kind of took it slowly kind of trying to discover it and you yeah. didn't worry too much you did what worked for you yeah and then when you were ready to ramp up then you kind of took that next step yeah so that, that, that's a great way to start yeah. now in terms of uh business like what areas do you focus on yeah so i'm in pickering so ideally i'd like to focus on that so the last listing i had was in rosebank i'm working with a buyer right now who's looking like pickering ajax and whitby so i mean not to say i've turned down things like last year it felt like all my clients were Mississauga but you know obviously that's 
far. Like I'm dropping off a closing gift for one of my clients and it took three and a half hours round trip because there was like every possible thing, like construction, accidents, weather, going there and back. So obviously like that wouldn't be great, but that's where the opportunity was. You know, those people came out of my existing database. So it was like a past staff member, someone that I'd I'd been on her podcast at one point in time, so they'd been getting my newsletters. So you kind of take those opportunities, but obviously I'd prefer to focus something closer to home. And then um, just if I can work towards things from a commercial standpoint, um, that would be my preference as well. Makes sense. Now you brought up a good point, right? Like a, uh, you have like a regimen. Like so, like what is your daily schedule? Like how do you promote <laughs> yourself? Like what do you, yeah. here? Let's start off. I'm asking you a thousand questions before you even answer one. <laughs> Let, let's start <laughs> off with the the first question: Is yeah. what would your typical day look like? Yeah. So um, ever since I had my daughter, um, I've been pretty like since she was maybe four months old and started sleeping through the night. I'm pretty dedicated to working out. So I strive for like five to six days a week, and the reason being honestly is for energy. Like I feel like if the days that I don't, I'm, I'm dragging. So I just have to make sure I commit to that for myself. Um, the beauty is that we have a fairly large home. Like we have a five level back split. So my gym's like steps from her playroom. So when she's up, like I can multitask and stuff like that. And usually during that time when I'm putting in the cardio used to be when I would do all my social posting to get it out of the way. Um, obviously a lot of the platforms have changed the rules. So now it's, you know, time of day matters. So I'll often prepare certain things, but then I may post to Instagram like later in the day. Once my daughter's off to daycare, then my day can take many different forms. It just depends on what I have going on, but the marketing is a big part of it. Like ideally I would like to attract those clients that see a synergy in working together rather than maybe like door knocking or spending a lot of money and time on online leads and stuff like that. Makes sense. Now, with that being said, do you use a CRM? Yes. Uh, well, EXP has their own CRM. So with, with EXP in particular, they give you your website. I have two websites. So I have their website and a WordPress website. And then they also have a KV Core. So basically the fee is just their software licensing. So you're not paying like a regular monthly brokerage fee. Right, right, right. Yeah. So with that being said, you are uh, using the CRM. You're mm -hmm. sending newsletters. How often do you send them? I send them the first day of every month. So I usually, again, try to focus on... Uh, something for buyers, something for sellers, and something from an investment standpoint. Um, usually I'll share a video and then again, going back to like the eat, sleep, relax and play, like I'll share something around that and rotate those topics. So it's around, I think five pages. Um, so I just try to have like a little something for everything and something for everyone and something that I think people will find interesting. Makes sense. I love that. So the other thing that uh, caught my attention here is how, uh, you, you immediately went into what we call the sphere of influence mm -hmm. to find business, right? Yeah. Like a lot of times people uh, get into the business and they think that they're going to make a uh, Instagram post. And at everyone's going to come. Th th that's exactly where <laughs> yeah. I was going with it, right? So that's exactly what people think, right? I'm just going to put one or two Instagram yeah. posts. People are going to come. My phone's going to ring off the hook. Yeah. And I'm not going to have time for anything. I'm going to need to hire somebody on the third day of business. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, you know, they're discouraged three weeks in. Yeah. And then it's always the same question. And they go calling around everybody in the brokers and saying, how do you guys get leads? Yeah. Oh, how's business? What are you guys doing? They're not really interested. They're trying to figure out why their phone's not ringing. Yeah. And, um, and that's fine, I mean, because let's be honest, this is not an easy business. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I'm grateful that I have all this passive income. So it's not like I'm depending on what I'm making as a realtor to pay my bills. And in fact, anything I do make, I just want to buy assets with. So that's really my focus with that. Um, what I would say is that I did try to talk to other realtors that I thought were successful in my brokerage when I started to see like what went well for them. So I did invest in two different lead gen programs early on that had a good reputation. One of them 
very bad experience with because they sent out an email to my database and they didn't use the content that I provided. So it caused a lot of confusion with people when they got it. And I had people like very upset. Like I had four or five very angry phone calls. I probably got 10 or 15 very angry emails. And I was able to use that as grounds to get out of their contract because it was very poorly handled. And I would say out of the leads I was getting from them, say I was getting 50 or 60 a month, probably half were bogus. And out of all of them, only one led to a client, which is a client I'm working with right now on the buy side. Um, I also tried five months of mail outs in a couple neighborhoods close to me. And I literally got one phone call and that was my listing in January. So when you think about the money that goes into that, like I probably spent 15 to $20,000 between the lead gen programs and the mail outs. And I got two solid like it actually led to two clients, but that's expensive. So I think if you start with the people that you already know, like I have, you know, thousands of clients I've worked with. I have staff that I've worked with. I have personal relationships. So I think as a new realtor, you start with that before you start spending all of this money on people you don't know, because it's going to be a lot harder to convert them. Boom. Mic drop moment. <laughs> right. And I believe that it's because people want to work with people they know, like, yeah. and trust. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people feel that, oh, well, I don't know anyone. I, I don't know who to talk to. My family yeah. won't buy or, you know, what I mean, and whatever. Right. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is that we know a lot more people than we think we know. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, people get their hair done. I mean, yeah. I may be the exception, but uh, in general, <laughs> yeah. people go and get their hair done. Yeah. You know, a barber or a hairstylist or, yeah. you know, you go to uh, what other services you get. Like everywhere you go, you're meeting people. Yeah. And that's a perfect time to introduce yourself. Yeah. So, and then you can build your database from that, which is yeah. incredible. And, you know, and that's the way to start off. So, yeah, getting, you know, getting to know people so they know, like, and trust. And you yeah. had a former business yeah. where they know you. They've had, A lot of people have had a lot of good experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's obviously the odd, odd one that didn't have a good experience because nothing is 100% in yeah. life. But, no, you can't worry about that. You just keep moving forward. Yeah, for sure. So, I absolutely love that. I love your take on that. So, with that being said, and I like how you said, don't go and spend a fortune in the beginning. Yeah. Because uh, I should have had this conversation with you when I started. Yeah. Because my first year, believe it or not, are you ready for it? Like I spent $65,000. <laughs> yeah. And you know how many sales I made with that 65000 Maybe a couple. Zero. Zero. Oh. I mean, not unless you count my uh, brother and, uh, you know, and my brother yeah. and another family member. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I mean, <laughs> I know why I did it. Like, I had some money, obviously, from my business, but I didn't have the time. I didn't have the time to, like, go out and door knock. My daughter was only in daycare three days a week. And honestly, the biggest challenge when she started was that she was getting sick constantly. Like that was no joke. Like people uh -huh. say daycare germs. Like I thought they were exaggerating and I'm not kidding. Like we were sick for eight or nine months straight. So every time she got sick, I got sick. So I couldn't be outdoor knocking in the height of COVID. So it made sense. Like, okay, well let's try these lead gen systems. It became, you know, came highly recommended. Let's try the mail. It's like, let's try these things because I was trying to attract the people to me in a way that didn't require quite as much time for me to be physically present to go to like you know, main network events were obviously not <laughs> back then. They've kind of come back around. Um, but at the time, I was trying to, you know, be mindful of what my commitments were and use the time that I had. But it it honestly was not the greatest use of resources. So, Of course. So with that being said, now, what... Uh you know, what would say was your biggest challenge once you started? Like, once you started rolling and things <laughs> yeah. started happening, you, you had your formula working, 
I mean, we all have clients, some of them that are problem clients, some of them that are very easy to deal with. But sometimes what happens is we even get the right client, but then we run into a situation we actually did not expect. I mean, yeah. you're like, Ooh, now what? Yeah. And you don't want the client to know that you're uh, processing, like they're processing because you're supposed to know, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, But we're human, right? And we got to learn this stuff. Yeah. What was that challenging moment for you? Yeah, so I mean, I think my biggest learning experience, um, you know, there was a realtor that I was supporting and I think he had some unfair expectations where he was kind of like, okay, like he wanted me to actually help with a lot of different things. Like, you know, if he had buyers that were interested in his listings, he wanted me to show the properties, run errands for him. And we developed kind of like a general arrangement that he would pay me for helping him on certain things. And then he thought by mentoring me, he wanted a, a percentage of my um, commission on the first however many deals. And I discovered very quickly he was someone I couldn't trust. There was two instances where he owed me money and he tried to kind of backpedal on our agreement. So I just tried to distance myself from him. And then when I finally said like, listen, I'm not comfortable with our arrangement, um, he was very unhappy about that, even though I'd done far more than him, like for him than he'd done for me. Like, I think he let me watch him work on a marketing presentation on Zoom for like half an hour. And he also let me watch him like add initials to an agreement. Like it was very incremental. Yeah. He felt like his time was worth like thousands of dollars. That was kind of a joke. He went back to the owner of our brokerage like to complain and he wanted like compensation and all these different things. So that was, uh, that was challenging and really surprising also. Like I just, um, yeah. I mean, I think the brokerage owner maybe was um, just trying to keep him happy because he is a top producer, but there were some, th some things I learned through that. But when I did finally land my first listing, I decided to list with another woman in my brokerage that had a lot of experience because I thought this is my first time. I want to make sure I understand how to do everything. It goes smoothly. And that didn't necessarily protect me either. Like I had a client that expected me to pay for a lot of different things. So every time she wanted me to pay for things, she would bring up her dad's realtor who she felt like would provide those things. Like I paid for staging, I paid for storage, I paid for cleaning, I paid for like a lot of things. And I think altogether the bill was about 7,000. But my biggest learning was that I should have had a schedule A to indicate if she decided not to sell or the house didn't sell, like she's responsible for those costs. And again, because I was working with this other realtor, like she never said anything, and I, I didn't, I didn't know about a schedule A at that point in time. It was my very first listing. So, um, ultimately, she ended up taking the house off the market because her expectations on the price were higher than what the comps were allowing for. And we did get offers, but she turned them down, took the house off the market, and then ultimately I ended up out of pocket on those costs. So I think that was my biggest learning. And even the client I had passed that, like I shouldered fifteen thousand in renovations for them. But I had a Schedule A that was very detailed. It started with 5,000, you know, that climbed. And then as it climbed, like, I'd have them re-sign it based on the additional budget and stuff like that. But they were very different people. I think they were very grateful for my help because they wouldn't be able to do those things and get it, it ready to be in the shape that it needed to be without my help. So I learned, obviously, from that first client because the next client was even a, a much, much larger budget in terms of support. But it was just stuff I didn't expect people to, ha like, have those expectations yeah. of me to that level um so now i've learned kind of how to handle that so with that being said now bob smith or alice smith whichever uh is thinking about selling their home yeah and uh they're going to reach out to you so and they're not sure what they need to do what forms they need or anything yeah. that they uh you know they're basically got an idea and they have a general idea of what they think they should sell the home for yeah but they want to consult with a professional. So now sure. they're calling you. What is the process 
you know, with someone dealing with you and uh, getting the home on the market? Yeah. I mean, obviously you want to go see the home and see what kind of shape that it's in. Because as I've learned, like not, not always like in the shape that they need to be. Um, I think one challenge I've found is that some sellers really are stuck on that mindset of what they think they could have gotten last year. And they feel like they should still be getting that now. So I think if I have someone that's not willing to accept what the comps look like, and they're not willing to be a bit flexible, like it's probably not the best client to take on because you're going to just waste time and money getting things ready. Um, obviously, you'll look at the comps, try to take into consideration where their home stacks up. But I have found over and over there are a lot of clients that, you know, they think their home's worth two to three hundred thousand dollars like ahead of uh, really what the comps are reflecting. Right. That's yeah. true. Right. Yeah. And I think we all experience that. It's kind of uh, madness. But uh, yeah. now the market has changed a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm, ge- I'm yeah. seeing a lot of bidding wars. I'm Absolutely. Not sure. Same. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's shifted. Like I had a listing that, you know, at the time the comps were a little below one, two. The sellers wanted one, five. And I just said, OK, like, let's just test it. The house was in good shape. It wasn't difficult to get it to list. And over the span of the two months, like we were getting interest around one, three, one, three, seven, five, one, four, four. We literally got an offer at 98 percent of list price the last day of their listing. They turned it down and then the buyer came back two days later at like at list and they turned it down again. (laughs) So that was challenging. And there's obviously some other things happening, but we got from below one, two to one, five in the span of about two and a half to three months. So I think the market's definitely uh, spun around. Um, Yeah. So just sometimes you have to be patient. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So. You you got into real estate because you're uh, an investor yourself, right? Yeah. Like, and you like investing. What type of properties uh, interest you? Yeah. So I'm working on actually trying to figure out what my next investment should be. So that's kind of gave myself a year to figure out where to go next. So I'm considering partnering with someone that has experience burying multifamily properties because there is such a big opportunity to see a lift. Um, There's potentially turnkey properties that are multifamily as well. So I've been kind of looking in the East Coast because they do cash flow better out there. I've even looked in like Tulum, Tamarindo, Florida, (laughs) like literally just keeping my options open. Um, But I do a lot of private lending. So I'll invest with real estate investors that are either involved in land development or renovations and stuff like that. And they all offer pretty high monthly returns. So most of the deals that I do are between 15 to 18%. So for example, if you put $50,000 into a deal, the payment's like $708 uh, interest only, and then you'll get the payment back in full by the end of the term. Um, Sometimes they're principal and interest. In other cases, it could be bridge loans. Um, So at any one time, usually I have 18 to 20 of those going on. And that's what you know, I basically live on and more than live on, like it's actually paid off other investments that I've done, like um, land development with my TFSA and syndicated mortgages and stuff like that. Good for you. That, that's actually quite good. I um, I love that. And I love how you mentioned Florida, considering I just got back from Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, honestly speaking, um, that's exactly the uh, kind of thing that uh, interests me. I'm into uh, okay. investments as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now I've started my company. It's called Papaloni Capital. Nice. I'm sure you know where I'm going with it, right? Multi-residential. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm uh, working on uh, syndicated mortgages as well yeah. and stuff like that. So that's right in my area. And the um, beauty of Florida, which you know, obviously they're far more landlord friendly. So I was in a, a workshop this past weekend and they said that usually you'd get 75% of tenants who haven't paid out within a week and you can get about 100% out within 30 days. So compared to here where you could have a tenant for a year or longer, um, I have a client like that that's wanted to sell her house for a year and she can't get her tenant out. And she finally got her LTB ruling and they've given them till the end of August. So when you talk about like 
where the properties make sense to me. Like I want to be somewhere that's landlord friendly and has an opportunity to cash flow. I am thinking exactly the same yeah. thing. I read like I, I have clients sometimes and um, I blow them away with my answer. Right? They say, uh, what do you think I should buy in Toronto? <laughs> Your primary home. Yeah. And they're like, okay, no, no, I meant for investment. You don't. Yeah. And they're like, what? I go get yeah. into commercial mm-hmm. because uh, it doesn't it doesn't have those restrictions, right? Because just dealing with the landlord uh, and tenant board here is yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I know but a lot it, of people in that <laughs> in yeah. that mess. Yeah. Yeah. So and and it just freaks people out when I say, yeah, yeah, don't buy a home in Ontario. Yeah. Right, yeah. For a rental, right? Like, and people feel nervous about the fact that they may not be close to it, but that's where your property manager comes in, right? So I bought in Florida for my first rental. My second two were Edmonton and Langley. Um, but I was specifically like, couldn't go any further, <laughs> you know, but I specifically chose stuff that wasn't in Ontario. So you hire a property manager and, you know, sometimes that involves a little management, like with my long-term rental in Edmonton, my electricity bill was going through the roof. So it went from $300 to like $1,800 in the span of three months. And wow. I'd had it for three years already. So I knew that this was abnormal. So I'm of course wondering what kind of weed they're growing in the basement. Uh. <laughs> uh, but the challenge was that the property manager took a while to go in. So it took them three months to finally go in. And as it turned out, they had a giant space heater in the garage because it gets so cold in Edmonton, they're worried that their cars would die and they wouldn't be able to go to work in the morning. So that was just blew the electricity uh, like crazy. So obviously they ended up paying for it. We figured it out, but it took three months to get them in to go in and take a look. Wow. That, that, yeah. But there you go. Right. So, and I agree with you. And this is why I like also multiplexes. Yeah. Right. I love when you have multiple rents. Cause if you have yeah. one or two people not paying, and you're leaks. in a five flex, <laughs> then you have yeah. uh, three people to cover the bills. Yeah. Right. So it's not like you're, uh, where if you have a single, you know, home, yeah. you have one person on most two people. Yeah. And usually the basement's lower than the upstairs yeah. if you have it in a single family home. Mm-hmm. And neither of them usually cover the mortgage. Yeah. Like, so you kind of need them both yeah. to have a, you know, so it's more risky. So yeah. a lot of times people say, well, multiplexes cost more. Yeah, they do. But it's easier to get approval. When you over yeah, five doors, yeah. you're no longer based on you. You're I don't think people realize that. That's one thing I wish I knew back when I first started investing. I just, that wasn't on my radar and I thought at the time well if I can only qualify for this much like what can I buy but looking back had I gone you know gotten a multifamily I'd probably still have that today as opposed to like the path I took at the time just based on the knowledge that I had but I saw a speaker on the weekend and what he said is the problem with a single family home is there's too many leaks so if you think you have one rent payment maybe two well you've got utilities taxes mortgage all of these different things well if you have a 12 plex so one person moves out it's not like you're not going to be able to pay your mortgage. So I think that's what people don't necessarily consider. And you're obviously, like you said, you're looking at the income of the property, not your personal income to qualify. So it may take longer, but it's technically easier in that respect. 1000%, right? And I agree with you. And I've done a lot of stupid moves in my time too, because of lack of knowledge, right? Like, well, it's not that stupid, at least you started. I think that's the most important thing, right? And that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, the key component is, you know, nothing in life is a failure unless you do nothing about it when you yeah. quit and you give up that is the failure and if you don't learn from it <laughs> well, well that's my yeah. point right so yeah. if, if something doesn't work out and you find something else mm-hmm. or find a way to fix it yeah then you've learned something from it so it wasn't a failure it was yeah. a learning lesson absolutely so and i love that right i mean i recently got my mortgage license as well so i'm dual licensed yeah and um believe it or not i actually learned a lot by getting that license, like stuff mm-hmm. and ins and outs that I didn't know even as a realtor, and I, although I've been a realtor for like eight years now. Yeah. So, 
and that's fascinating, right? Just fascinating how the finances work. Yeah. And, and you would never imagine how some of the reasons things get turned down. It's like, wow. So, like, but where I'm going with this is with your investments and in terms of uh, loans and stuff mm-hmm. and finances, what was your biggest struggle and what was your biggest success? Yeah. So, when I initially um, I joined a real estate education company back in 2018. And at my company had been staffing their events, so I didn't know a lot about what they do. There's a very well-known face of that business that people would be familiar with. But at the time, they very heavily advocated for this one particular company for syndicated mortgages. And my consultant's like, you could use your whole HELOC. You could be making this much money. And, you know, I invested about 350000 in three deals. And they were laddered with their payouts, like 12 months, 18 months, and 24 months. So I thought, okay, well, you know that's kind of staggered out and their contract said they could extend for six months twice. So of those, um, you know, they should have been paid out a long time ago and one and a half has paid out. So the other one and a half has about 160,000 in principal, but we're now three years past when they should have paid out. So they're still paying their front end interest. So in that instance, um, they would offer 15%, but it was half of it up front, half of it at the back end. And because that's gone on for so long, we've been told like, you may not even see your back end interest. We might take a small hit on the principal. So I think there's a lot of things in that learning. Like they really misrepresented themselves. You know, me and, you know, probably thousands of other members in this education company really trusted that they'd been vetted, the kinds of opportunities and stuff like that. So my learning was that I would never do that much money per dealer per per company and I would never do a split interest again. So all of the deals that I do now are usually no more than 50,000 per per deal. I may consider 100,000 per borrower split on two different properties. Um, but what I've learned is that a lot of instances like where they're refining packages of properties, like that's still affects them altogether, right? So now I think just in general, like I try to do like lower amounts, but a higher volume of, of what that was. So I'd say that's been the worst thing that's happened, um, you know, they're still paying. I'm confident we'll get the money back eventually, but it's it's gone on for a long time. So for me, all the other private lending I've done is paid off that investment. But you could imagine, like, people didn't know COVID was coming. Like, what if they really needed that money back and they yeah. had no other sources of income or way to, to pay that, right? So I think that's where um, people have to be very careful. Um, but then on the successful side, like I've done, I just signed my 59th um, private lending deal. And all the rest have gone really well. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah. And you bring up a point there, right? Like when you invest, it's got to be money you can afford to carry. And even to some point, you got to be able to afford to lose it. Yeah. Right? Because if you're using money that uh, is going to be the end all and be all, that can be very serious. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think diversifying is just extremely important. In terms of uh, future investments, right? Like mm-hmm. do you think think you're going to still continue doing the loans or do you think you're going to get more into more properties or are you going to keep it split? Yeah, definitely both. So I used all the money that I had in my business for investing in properties. And then on the flip side, like I'd use my HELOC for the private lending. Um, I did put in an offer on a 22 unit um, property across, it's like 22 units across six properties. So it was like a package of properties in Cape Breton last year, last June. And the uh, seller felt more comfortable with the other buyer because they had physically seen the property. And obviously you can't just go out for every single time you're putting in an offer. So I would have gone out for due diligence, but they turned it down. And at the time I thought, well, maybe this is, there's a reason for this. Like maybe I have to learn some more things to decide what the best next move is. So in this instance, I put that down payment into some loans for a year just so I could have the time to figure out my next move, but also be making money on it in the meantime. Like I'll make an extra like 60 or 70,000 on that. So my down payment will be bigger now. Um, so ideally, definitely with the cash, I want that in appreciating assets. And then I'd use the HELOC for lending. But 
whenever I've done podcasts like this, you know, a lot of people don't even know about private lending. And what I found is that when I talk about it, it brings like a few people that are like, how can I do this? You know, and it's, it's literally like it's happened over and over and over again to the point that I was like, I should start keeping track of these people because I'm connected to so many active investors doing things that like I, I can't do all of those. Like I've done all the deals I can. And as things come to an end, I'll find new opportunities. But there's so many that I can't do them all myself. So I'm like, well, maybe I can connect people. Right. So that's kind of led into something that I hadn't expected. And I think my focus ideally would be to find a seat where I can be a GP in a project and I can facilitate some of the capital raising. So I think that would probably be um, a trajectory like I would like to take. And I think that I'm far more, not to say far more passionate about it, but I feel like it's changed my life. It's changed the life of a lot of people that I'm connected to. And um, people just don't know how powerful that can be. So I think I would really love to be able to provide those opportunities to people in that, in that way. Makes total sense. And that's the other thing I was going to get into joint ventures. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're looking to get into some joint ventures. Potentially. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say would be the biggest thing that uh, is concerning? Yeah. And like what uh, like what would you do to, uh, you know, in terms of due diligence to make sure you're getting in the right partnership? Yeah. OK. So there's one company I had entertained. The, the concern I had with it was like if you're going to go for a big multifamily, you have no cash flow. So you have to know that you're going to have no cash flow on that money for at least a couple of years. So ideally, like I wanted something turnkey, you know, could be fairly passive. Like you have your property manager, so maybe you're managing them a bit. But for the most part, like it's fairly passive and it's cash flowing. But if you're going to take on a multifamily, so say, for example, you buy a property that's worth 1.5 million, they put 500,000 in rentals in, well, that property could now be worth three and a half million. So they would ideally return your capital back and then they would also refi so that money's coming to you tax-free. So there's far more um, potential for a lift on your money. So, you know, I think uh, when you think of building that long-term wealth, there's more potential there because now you're also a partner in say like a 20 or 30 unit building, you get your capital back, you get a bunch of tax-free money back on the refi and it'll start cash flowing. But then you can also continue to just put that money into future opportunities. So there is a company I've spoken to that they have, I think, eight or nine properties around the country. So they've got their systems in place. They know what they're doing. Like, I'm not just going to go struggle through a burr on my own. So I think there's a lot of value in coming in as the money partner in a situation like that. But you have to be very clear to understand like the time it can take. What's the worst case scenario? Like what if, you know, obviously the market's gone up and down. Um, I think that's a little more, um, specific to residential than commercial like the commercial probably hasn't been impacted the way that uh craziness with residential to some respects so um i think that would probably make sense like i wouldn't i personally don't see the value of joint venturing with someone if they're just going to go find a property and hire the property manager like i wouldn't give up 50 percent equity just for that but right. if they're going to go and do all of this work that's forcing that appreciation then i think there's a lot of value in that so I think you got to talk to their other investors, do your due diligence in, in that way. Makes total sense. Love that. So with that being said, in lieu of time, I'm going to get down to the last couple of questions. Sure. One is what would be your advice to someone watching who's thinking of becoming an agent or an investor and they're yeah. not sure where to start and they're a little scared? What yeah. would you tell them? Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's two kind of questions. <laughs> if you want to get your real estate license, you know, you're looking at obviously quite a bit of time and money to obviously go through the program. Like I think all in all, it was around, you know, 15,000 going through the courses and then your association fees and all of that stuff. So 
you know, I think if you're considering that, um, you have to know that there's going to be some investment of that time and money. And, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to build your, your database um, and just find people that you can learn from. Like, I think collaboration and networking in this industry is really important because you can't necessarily depend on your brokerage to provide that to you. Some, some will. You know, I think yours probably does from what I've heard. But there's a lot that uh, there could be some limitations with the training depending on your brokerage's approach. Um, on the investment side, I think, you know, a lot of people think I need all this money to get started. Not necessarily. Like there's so many people, as you know, like they use other people's money. So there could be ways that you can lean on your network and be like, you know, I found this amazing deal. You need $500,000 to get started. Well, you can take on five investors at 100000 apiece and then kind of go forward. But I think before you do something like that, you have, you have to educate yourself. So I've joined, yeah, I was a part of a real estate education company for five years. I'm still with them. I joined a mastermind this past year and now I've joined like another education company as well. Um, so I, I've joined a lot. So it's just to learn from what other people are doing so that you can handle things appropriately. Cause the last thing you want is to damage your reputation by losing people's money and their investment in you. Absolutely true. So next uh, and not last question but second last question <laughs> how do you know you've had a successful day uh, i'm really big on my to-do list so there's nothing better than crossing those things off so generally when i start my day i have certain things that i like to get through um you know from an agent perspective usually that's they would say like you want to talk to like five or ten new leads and stuff like that so for me it's personally just i set out my objectives for the day and i just make sure, sure i like manage my time appropriately to get through everything i've planned last question before i go into what i call the lightning round which is just fun fast questions okay. uh which is where do people find you yeah, um, so I have an Instagram, all my socials, basically Serena Holmes Realtor. Uh, and then as I mentioned, I did publish a book. So that's under Serena Holmes Author for anyone that wants to check that out. And the book's called The Accidental Entrepreneur. And that's right. I remembered about the book now. Yeah. And in fact, I saw it on uh, your profile. Yeah. Um, but anybody watching this or listening to this, if you are going to follow me, like my uh, su or subscribe, give me a review. I'm going to pick five people. I'll uh, pick up the tab. I'll buy the book and send it to you. Just got to uh, follow me, subscribe, like, comment, whichever. Now, to get into the lightning round, okay. we're going to be question number one is what is your favorite food? Oh, gosh. Uh, probably sushi. Ooh. Sushi's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite travel spot? Uh, I got married in Thailand, so that's definitely at the top. Interesting. Um, third thing would be favorite book or podcast. Uh, so I really loved Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. I think there's just so much they should have that in schools. That's how much I think it's got valuable information. Yeah, that's one thing I think schools are missing is financial education. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, last question, but not least, if you had unlimited amount of money but only forty eight hours to spend it, <laughs> what you spend? You get to keep what's not spent gets taken away. What would you do? I go buy the block. <laughs> go buy the block. I like that one. Yeah. Um, thanks for uh, you know joining me here. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. I'm so you. glad that you were uh, you, you were here to join me on this podcast. Sure. Thank you. Very informative. A lot of great information. And uh, yeah, great. I mean, congratulations Thank on you. getting in the business and stuff. Thank you. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below.